0: we're going to talk about living in a hostile environment. In fact, living in a hostile environment could very well be the title of today's message because we're going to be in the second half of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, uh, either with book or tablet or device, or there's Bibles in front of you on the pew, you can look it up for yourself. We're going to have some of the scriptures here on the screen, and you can follow along. Let me uh, open this message with a word of prayer. Father, We ask for your Holy Spirit to come to be our teacher, our guide, the one who corrects us, the one who shows us the right way to live, the one who points out when we're going in the wrong direction and puts us back on the right track for you, and Lord, and when we're on the right track, Lord, we so appreciate how your Holy Spirit encourages us to stay on the right path that you have called us to live. So, Lord, we... We submit ourselves to you now. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and show us how you want us to think and act and live so that this world would be turned around from the kingdom of darkness and be one to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we were talking about our new identity, right? And the key verse for our new identity was 1 Peter 2, verse 9 where there are four descriptions, amazing four descriptions. As a New Testament believer, this applies to you. You are this person in Christ Jesus. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Just like the Old Testament priest would bring a dead offering uh, with, whose blood was shed to atone for the sins of the people, so now God wants us to bring a live person Right into His presence uh, to to bring glory to God. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Jews and Gentiles brought together to be one Christian nation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That you and and not a not the United States uh, nation alone, not any one nation alone. All the nations of the earth, all the tribes and families and tongues and ethnicities that are represented on this planet who name the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God is forming one new people, one holy nation, God's special possessions. For what purpose? That we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And if you recall, we have two main obligations, two main duties as New Testament priests. Number one is we are to offer sacrifices of praise to God. We are to bring praise to God. One of the songs we listened to at City Kids, because it was my playlist, I know it, uh, it was uh, this song by Seventh Day Slumber, and the the song says something about our, our goal in life is to bring you praise. So we bring God praise with our lips. We also bring God praise with our second New Testament duty, and that is bringing live people into God's kingdom family. Because when somebody is one to Christ, That angels in heaven rejoice and God is glorified in big ways. And we are fulfilling that duty, bringing others. And if you remember, I just said it in our vision statement, right? We're hope-filled followers of Christ who bring others into a growing relationship with our Creator. That's our purpose. When we fulfill our purpose, we are bringing great honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, whether we think about it much or not, as Christians living here on planet earth, we are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven with a temporary residential card living here on planet earth. And we are living in a battle zone. We are living in a war zone spiritually with temptations and persecution and opposition that want to knock us off our game, so to speak, that want to that want to diminish our Christian witness, that want to get us to turn away from following Jesus and loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're living in this spiritual battlefield. And in order to do that, we need to avoid some of the things that are bad for us. And so we begin in verse 11 today. Peter says these words to God's people. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, Which wage war against your soul. You know, when somebody abstains, they have the opportunity to vote yes or no, right? Abstaining says, I'm not gonna participate in that. I'm not gonna go along with the rest of the world and whatever the rest of the world is doing. And because these marginalized, probably not the center, respected people in society, but followers of Jesus living in Asia Minor, marginalized people on the edge of society, socially excluded, from privilege and power, these Christ followers indicated their low status in society. Some interpreters, uh, some commentators say foreigners and exiles. Well, that just means that, that we're foreigners and exiled in this world because our citizenship is in heaven, and that is true. But I think Peter was talking about even while you're living here on earth, you're, you are not accepted. You're not in the in crowd if you're really living a godly life following Jesus because those pagans, the people that follow either other religions or idolatry or don't consider themselves spiritual at all, it is not, uh, with them, it's not as acceptable your Christian faith and your Christian lifestyle. And you're going to have to represent Christ as an ambassador to their community and when that happens you will be tempted by by saying why don't you come along and do what we do wait till we get to chapter four it says uh the the pagans they're surprised when you don't go along with them with their wild and riotous living Um, hopefully that's true in your life you don't you choose not to go along that you abstain from the kinds of temptations and desires that wage war against your soul Speaking of the spiritual battlefield that we're in. Now, let's talk about some of the good deeds because whether or not you realize it, people are watching you, people in your own family who don't follow Jesus, perhaps people in your own household who don't follow Jesus, they're looking at you to see, they're poking you, they're prodding you, they're cutting you in a way to see if you bleed Jesus, do you really represent the Christian faith? Do you believe in this stuff or not? Or is this just lip service? That's the trouble with the American church. That's one reason why this last upheaval with the, with the global pandemic and everything, it's actually served as a filter. It's served as a sieve. It's served as a kind of a, a marking point because the casual Christians have pretty much gone away. The attendance in churches is down 30 or 40% in most churches across America since the global pandemic began in March of 2020. Down 30 or 40%. Casual Christians, the ones that just said, you know, that's kind of nice to go to church and follow Jesus and socialize with some friends, but uh, whatever happened during COVID, many have chosen not to come back and participate in the local church. I'm so glad that you guys are here because you're part of the solution and and not part of the people that are staying away. God says, do not forsake the assembling together, but encourage one another daily. I hope there's something that you get here today that you could not get if you're just, quote, watching and participating at home. We're glad you're participating at home, but there's something I hope that people are getting here, and that's the idea of fellowship, of encouragement, praying for one another, talking to one another about your lives, sharing your burdens with one another, and and the whole idea of saying, by being together, like you walk in today, a lot of people are consumer Christians. A lot of people walk into church and say, okay, God, what do you have for me? You know, got something any good? Because I'm going to be like a movie reviewer, and I'll be a movie critic, and I'll just say, hey, how was the word? Eh, worship is so-and-so, uh, preaching, pff, pff. Communion, eh, you know. And, and you're giving all this thumbs up and thumbs down as you're, as you're going through the service as if you're the consumer. No, God says, come and you bring a sacrifice of praise. You come into God's house and say, Lord, who can I help today? Who can I bless today? Who can I encourage today to follow Jesus more faithfully? If I do that today, then I'm bringing the Lord, a sacrifice of praise. I am doing what God wants me to do when I am here worshiping in God's house. It's all about giving and receiving. And the casual Christian in the world today just says, no, I'm a consumer and it's all about me and it's just about what somebody's gonna give to me. Think about what you can give in your worship, not just about what you're going to get. In fact, I would guarantee you this, that as you focus on who can I bless today, you will actually be blessed more than you would have if you came in and said, okay, God, what do you have for me today? As citizens of heaven, you're living in this world. You're, you're, we're living under this civil law and authority. I look out and I see your masks on, and I'm reminded of that in a very stark way. Look what it says. It says, verse 12, Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You think Peter was in Jesus' presence when he preached the Sermon on the Mount? Shine your light before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Where do you think Peter gets these words? He gets them because he was one of Jesus' best friends, because he hung out with Jesus day and night for three and a half years, because he saw Jesus risen from the dead, and he's saying, as an apostle, I need to pass this along to you. I need to pass this along to you in written form because there are gonna be future generations that will not have experienced Jesus personally. And he's passing it along to us, and he's saying, live good lives so that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, your good deeds will silence them maybe some of the christians good deeds in their day in in that area of turkey the asia minor uh, to whom peter was writing to maybe some of them actually transgressed some of their cultural expectations and offended some people in society by the way they lived but eventually jesus says your good deeds will vindicate you they'll vindicate you before god and hopefully the people around you will see that you are the real deal that you really do believe this stuff. You are sincere. Sincera, like, like it says in Spanish, without wax on the, on the pot. You don't have a crack in your pot. You're sincere. He goes on and he says, submit yourselves. Verse 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. Uh, who is the emperor in Peter's day? Hmm this really saintly guy named Nero, and I say that very sarcastically because Nero was a terrible person and a terrible emperor. He killed a lot of his own family members, sets Rome on fire in a drunken stupor, and then blames it on the Christians and starts persecuting the Christian church. One of the earliest persecutions of the church began in Rome because of this emperor Nero, and yet perhaps a year before Peter himself went to the cross, Peter writes this letter and he says, you submit yourselves." for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it's the emperor or to governors. Uh, and, And he says, here's the reason why God allows civil government in society. He says, who are sent by God, sent by Him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Hopefully by being good citizens, we'll be commended for doing right and not just punished for doing wrong. In fact, Peter says, if you get punished for doing wrong, You didn't do anything special. You're suffering, but you brought it on yourself. The kind of suffering that Peter says that we're called to as Christians is suffering even for doing right, for unjustly suffering. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. That's what I like in this passage. It says, submit to every human authority. That's what I call the mission of submission. The mission of submission. It comes from that Greek word, Uh, It's called hypotasso, 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 and it means to stand up under the authority of something. And it's something that the person does voluntarily. If you're being held down or put in a straitjacket and held down and saying, okay, I'm submitting, that's really not what the idea is. You're being involuntarily forced to submit. If you're held behind bars in a prison, you're involuntarily submitting to the authority right? Because I think most of those prisoners would walk out of there in a heartbeat if the doors were open. The point is, is you're voluntarily submitting, whether to the government or to your employer or to your spouse in marriage, there's submission there. If you're a child growing up in a home, you're submitting voluntarily to the authority of your parents to honor your father and mother. And we're going to talk about, in fact, marriage. Peter focuses on the mission of submission in marriage. We're going to talk about that next week. So here's the power of doing good. We're submitting ourselves for the Lord's sake. And then verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Peter, Peter had high expectations for God's people. You know, that apostle, he set the bar high. You remember what he said last chapter? You know, you could, you could have a love-hate relationship with Peter, with Peter if you really think about it. Thank you, Peter, for writing, be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. God, you're called to live a life of holiness, to live a life set apart from sin and from the rest of the world's ungodly activities. Live a holy life following Jesus' example. Great. That's a pretty high bar to set. And now, by suffering unjustly, you're silencing the ignorant talk of foolish people. Peter wanted them to have a heart so focused on Jesus, so focused that when he commands that their behavior be focused on love, obedience, submission, he wants them to live such a great life that they would be impeccable, that their lives would be impeccable, unreproachable, or without reproach in the sight of those who are outside the church. And that means that people outside of the church have access to see you and actually see you living a life. You know, this is not a passage that says, okay, Christians, withdraw from the world. You know, oh, if the world rejects you, the whole idea is, oh, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. So the solution is I'm just going to withdraw and go into my little cocoon, either in my own home or a little cocoon with a with a a church that is so closed off to the rest of the world, you know, the holy huddle, us four, no more, you know, mentality um, that says we're not going to be stained. We're not going to be corrupted by the world. We're just going to have our little cocoon community here. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Live a life in submission to authority. Live a life that is so good and holy, abstaining from the sins and the temptations of the world that the world would look on and say, wow, look how they live. Look, you're silencing the accusations. You're taking away the ammo from the people outside the church who would want to attack Christians and attack the gospel. So we're to live, friends, we're to live a life of proper respect for authority. Peter says this, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. See, this is where Americans get this wrong. We, we hear this, you know, hey, who, what American would not want to? Hey, you want me to memorize a Bible verse? I'll take 1 Peter 2 16A, <laughs> which means live as free people. Yes and amen. Freedom, baby but then he says, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Oh, I like part one. I don't like part two so much, right? Why? Because, because you want your freedom to do whatever, whatever you want to do. If you're living, being filled with the Holy Spirit, you will want to live a life that pleases God. You'll look at evil and you'll say, ooh, what a terrible way to live. Ooh, that violates relationship violates relationship between people it violates relationship with God it results in division and hatred and eventually war if I keep acting that way I don't want to act I want to act the the life of love and grace and forgiveness that Jesus acted I want to be a minister of reconciliation I don't want to be a minister of division live don't live as a cover your freedom as a cover-up for evil live as God's slaves He's the one we serve, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Genuine freedom, friends, is the freedom to serve God. We're always under the authority of God. By the way, friends, I I just made a list. I said, you know, growing up in life, how many times were you under authority, under the authority of somebody else? And I don't mean illegitimately. This is all legitimate authority in our lives. You grow up as a baby, as a child. You have your parents. Did I even put parents on there? No, I didn't. Oh, father, mother. Yeah. I I was looking for parents and all I could see was father, mother. (laughs) Father, mother. That's the first authority in our lives. That's why God says in one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, because God placed them there to raise you in the training and instruction of the Lord. They're the first authority we learn, and then later on you get sent to school, and now you're under the authority of your teacher, and if you didn't live very well under the authority of your parents, your parents did not bless your teachers when you went to school because now you have to learn authority of school, and and you learn the consequences of disobedience. Um, I grew up where the principal had a paddle. He actually had a, a paddle with holes in it hanging on the wall like a little reminder like you get enough out of line in this school and you are going to experience that i don't even think they can do that anymore but that's that's the idea of that was legitimate authority huh no no, no you can't lisa's the authority <laughs> she can tell nope can't do that anymore but we we all live under authority we live under the authority of god as we choose to we live under the authority of the king or the emperor if you get enough away and say i'm not living under the authority of the government Eventually, the government will come find you and involuntarily make you submit to their authority. You will be arrested. You may get thrown into prison because you were not willing to submit to authority and to the rules, to the governor. And when I think of the government, I think about all the authority that's out there, the local police, the fire, the public health, the taxes, everything that we live under to live in a civil society. And then husband and wife, when you get married, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5.22. Church leaders, if you become a member of a church, there are leaders in the church, and it says submit to their authority. So we're all living under some kind of authority, whether we realize it or not. You can be willing and able to live under it. You can fight it, but... Uh, even, I, I wrote this right here in the notes just the last couple of days. Friends, we're living under authority right now as we willingly wear our masks in this indoor gathering of God's people. Thank you for doing that. We need to be respectful citizens if we hope to be able to win outsiders to the gospel. See, that there, there's the whole one. Peter's saying, which lifestyle is more likely to attract people to God and to Jesus? You, you, you call yourself a Christ follower, you're a Christian. Which kind of lifestyle is more attractive to say, I want to check out the Christian faith. I want to see a person that lives with love and joy and peace and is friendly and, and doesn't return evil for evil and is so gracious and kind and forgiving. That's the kind of person that is attractive to people in the world. So live that kind of life under authority and... Here's the other thing, because there, were, there are Christians who legitimately disagreed with unjust, ungodly policies, and they protested those policies. If Christians disagree with governmental policies they see as unjust, then you can respectfully protest. That's how women earned the right to vote in this country. That's how people of color won equal rights 50, 60 years ago. That's how compulsory education for children was achieved in this country through a legitimate, peaceful protest. And so there is, a, there is a time where you can say, hey, I don't like what's going on in, in government and I want to help change it, but help change it the right way, respectfully, civilly, uh, the, the right way. The mission of submission, it's not for the purpose of turning the government against the church. The, the mission of submission is to encourage outsiders to follow Jesus through the witness and the ministry of the church. Now, there's another kind of submission submission to the authorities, submission to God, and now it says submission to your masters if you were a slave. You guys are probably aware of this, but in the first century, slavery was very common in the Roman Empire. Some scholars estimate that between 30 and 40 percent of the Roman Empire were slaves or at least were slaves at one point in their life. And it wasn't based on ethnicity. It was based basically on peoples that were conquered (laughs) by the Roman Empire. Slaves, it says this. Peter's talking to slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, because that would be an easy person to submit to, you know, I, I remember somebody was talking about marriage and he was talking about submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he says, you know, you, you're only called to submission if you disagree, right? If you're disagreeing and, and walking together, can two walk together unless they walk in agreement, Amos says, you know, if the marriage is walking and you're in agreement, there's really not a lot of submission going on. It's when you don't agree where submission is called in to, to consideration. But it, to slaves... Submit yourselves to your masters, not just the ones who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if somebody bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So now Peter's going to talk about submission. He's going to talk about unjust suffering when you are mistreated for doing what is right. You guys remember this. I I hope you saw in in the question, whether in the email or the social media, it says, it says, can you recall a time in your life when you laid down your own personal rights for the sake of the gospel, when you felt that you were unjustly treated, where something terribly unfair was going on, and you said, you know what, Lord Jesus, for, the, for your sake, for the sake of peace, for the sake of the gospel, for your kingdom, I'm willing to just be quiet and not make a big ruckus about it, not make a big protest, because I ultimately, I think that would just lead to more problems, division. They would, you know, it it wouldn't help create peace at all where you voluntarily laid down your rights for the sake of the gospel. That's, That's an amazing thing to be able to do. If it, Peter says, it's commendable if somebody bears up under the pain of unjust suffering for the sake of the gospel. Here's, a, here's another verse, verse 20. But how is it, he goes back and forth between, some people are getting, sometimes you're getting punished because you deserve it. You did wrong and you got caught and you're punished and you're gonna say, man, I'm, whether people are really remorseful most of the time isn't the fact that they did wrong, it's the fact that they got caught. And you know that's with a kid. Say you're sorry, sorry. You're not really sorry, you're sorry you got caught but you're not really sorry because you recognize that what you did was wrong. There's spiritual growth when we realize what we did was wrong. but Peter says uh, there's a there's a big difference. he says, "How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and then you endure it yeah i did I did wrong, I disobeyed my master, I went off the rails i I disrespected, I didn't do what uh, my master wanted me to do, and now I'm being punished for it. Oh, I'm suffering well you' you're, you're you're justly suffering in a way well that's not to your credit peter says but now he goes into and he says now you're now the second category here you're actually getting more like jesus but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it this is commendable before god you want an attaboy from god you want a commendation you want God to pin a verbal a, a medal on you for your actions? Go ahead and suffer for doing good and endure it. That's what's commendable to God. Why? Because when you do that, you're acting more like his son. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. By the way, just a trivia question. Did anybody ever read the book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps? In His Steps, yeah. Came out in the... I see a few f- spiritual people out there. Um, just kidding. <laughs> That's my, fam- my, my other famous line is, uh, hey, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to First Peter. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and look over at some Christian and read, read, read the Bible with them. So it, it's just... I'm just playing with you, uh, teasing you. But the, the, po- the point is, In His Steps, Charles Sheldon, tremendous book, and it's all based on this story of this guy that comes into the church and he says a few words. He was a homeless, destitute guy and, he, and he's saying his last words and he collapses and dies in the church. And it causes this deep spiritual repentance in the church and they take his words to heart and they take this line from 1 Peter. It says, your, your life is called to be an example you're called to follow in his steps, in Jesus' steps. And so the pastor challenges his congregation to say, whatever you do, this is the original WWJD, whatever you do, what would Jesus do? How would you live your life in this moment if you were following closely in Jesus' steps? So you want to get a commendation for God? Endure suffering for doing good. So uh, we are to endure unjust suffering for the sake of jesus why because that's what jesus did for us peter is calling us to live a lifestyle now i'm going to throw a big word at you scott mcknight commentator throws this big word luke i know you already know what this word means but for the rest of us uh this this word is called cruciform peter's calling us to live a cruciform lifestyle Now, cruciform basically means in the shape of the cross or in the form of the cross. And so I think the idea, if you live a cruciform lifestyle, the way you live your life is going to, in some way, remind people of Jesus and the way he conducted himself during his experience going to the cross, right? So you remember, Jesus went to the cross, and did he argue Did he fight? Did he protest? Uh, I think uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor, one of the things that blew him away was, here's all the Jewish leaders throwing, hurling these accusations against Jesus, all of which were lies. And Jesus did not reply. He did not open his mouth. And Pontius Pilate is going, I don't get this guy. Who would do that? Your, Your life is on the line. You need to defend yourself. And Jesus wouldn't do it. So a cruciform lifestyle, what does that look like? Well in business, in business it may mean that you're less known for your aggressiveness, for your, you know, we're gonna we're gonna divide and conquer, we're gonna take over the the business world, we're gonna we're gonna vastly increase our market share through our aggressive tactics. So is less known for that in business, and now you're more known for a strong work ethic, for kindness, for loyalty, for honesty. That's what cruciform lifestyle might look like in business. How about in your personal life? How about the times when you suppress your desire to be noticed, to be applauded by others? You know, I, I remember growing up and there was a nursery rhyme and it said, you know, Jack, uh, it wasn't Jack, that was Jack and Jill. But there was, there was some boy and there was a plum pie or something like that. And he said, and he and he, stuck in his, he stuck in his thumb and he pulled out a plum and what did he say? what a good boy am i so it's like whatever you do you do something hopefully it's good and then you look around and say somebody had to have seen that you know (laughs) and now in social media all this virtue signaling is now there's nobody around so the person takes the little selfie or takes the little video and they're doing something because they want to be noticed they want to be applauded by everybody else for their lifestyle Right? A little less of the desire to be noticed and applauded, and a little more thirst to know God more and to live more fully for Him. How about in our finances, you know, taking less pleasure in acquiring things? You know, that's not this idea of getting all you can and then canning all you get. You know, less materialism, less acquiring things and finding more joy in advancing God's kingdom and blessing others through your generosity. I I, I think that's a cruciform lifestyle. Cruciform lifestyle. You know, in our American culture, especially in the last 30, 40 years, we have become a litigant society. There's another big word, litigious litigant society, which means you look at me the wrong way and I'm going to sue you. You know, you do something that I don't like and I'm going to sue you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to court. I'm going to get my rights because I have my rights and I'm defending them and everybody walks around with a chip on their shoulder and nobody has a right to bump into me or say anything or you have no right to stop for more than three seconds at the stop sign or get in my way or anything like that. It, we, we are so self consumed we become a litigant society. You spill your hot coffee at McDonald's drive-thru and you sue them for millions of dollars. Even Christians are demanding, we're defending our own personal rights. Now compare that attitude with Jesus where Jesus says this in in the Sermon on the Mount. He says if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Huh? (laughs) Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Wait, 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 wait. I thought I was just to believe in Him, take Him as my Savior, trust in Him, and then know I'm going to heaven when I die. You want more from me than that? Yeah, Jesus says, I want more from you than that. I want you to follow me, not just believe in me. Do the things that I would do if you were in my steps. So, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Instead of demanding our own rights, Peter Peter seems to be sounding forth here a different message. Jesus, who suffered injustice, Jesus, who testified to God's amazing grace, to the very people who were crucifying him, praying over and over, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Wow, how do you follow in his steps that way? I think Peter's saying in this life, you want to follow Jesus closely? You're going to find that it is a very Christian thing to suffer. It happened to Jesus, and Peter says that you follow him, it will happen to you as well. And so here's the key, friends. How you react to unjust suffering says to the world how much truly, sincerely you know and follow Jesus Christ. How much you've grown in your Christian life Here's Jesus' example of suffering, verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Just think about that for a minute. You know what Peter is saying? Jesus never sinned. He never did anything was wrong. Friends, I I know that there are a lot of people out there that would want to tell you, yeah, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was certainly an example of the finest human beings who have ever lived. But to say that he's perfect, that he never sinned, never did what was wrong, come on. Those are the people that want to take away Jesus' deity. They're they're the people that want to deny the incarnation that God became a human being and lived for a while among us, and we saw his glory. They want to take away that, And, and here's the Jesus who said when the Pharisees Do you remember when the Pharisees were, they're always arguing with him about something. You're breaking the Sabbath. You know, you're eating with sinners. You know, you're always doing what's wrong, Jesus. You let your disciples eat the grain on the Sabbath. Come on. You're blowing it, Jesus. You're sinning all the time. And and Jesus actually said to them one time, can any of you accuse me of sin? Can any of you accuse me of sin? And you know what he got in reply? Silence. Silence. Because no one accused Jesus of sin. They couldn't, because he lived a sinless life. That's what makes him qualified. That's what makes the life of Jesus and his blood so valuable that when Peter later on now says that he went to the cross for us, we know that that, that, that blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from all sin. His life, his sinless life, paid was, was so valuable to God that it paid for all the sins. Uh, that you and I have ever committed in this world. No sin, no s- deceit in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, cruciform lifestyle, what does it look like? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When they suffered, Do you remember Lisa when we were in London and the Muslims were just hurling insults at Christians? They hurled, they hurled insults at Lisa. They were talking she wasn't a godly woman because she had her hair down. She didn't have her she didn't have her. Her head covering on. She was wearing a sleeveless dress, and because it was in the middle of the summer and it was hot, and they were saying, you know, what a what a, uh, a worldly, immoral woman she was because she was dressed that way, hurling insults. And the whole the whole point, and they were hurling insults at all of us Christians who were trying to witness for Christ to these Muslim people. And the point is. Whenever we could remain silent before their accusations and not just like give tit for tat or fight back the same way that they fought us, when we were actually doing that, for a moment, I, there, was a, there was this brief experience where I can think of when we experienced this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did Jesus do? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Surely, look what Isaiah says. He took our pain and our suffering. We considered him punished by God. We thought he was rejected by God. And yet he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah puts it this way, 700 years prophesying before Jesus came to earth. He says, we all like sheep had gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Peter says it this way in verse 24. He says, he was, I'm sorry, he says, yet he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness and now he quotes Isaiah by his wounds you have been healed and then Isaiah goes on and he talks about we've all gone astray but before i get to we've all gone astray let me just let me just say something about peter can you imagine that the journey that peter has been on in his lifetime in relationship to jesus meets jesus in john chapter 1 what do you guys want? Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see. That's how the relationship started. Now Peter's in the boat. Jesus says, come and follow me. And Peter drops everything, leaves, the life, leaves his fishing business, follows Jesus. Two years later, they're in Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You did not say that from man alone God gave you that revelation Peter and you're going to be a big leader in my church and on this rock of your confession I will build my church the gates of hell won't prevail against it then next Jesus says and guess what guys we're going to Jerusalem this time and this time we're not going we're not coming back I'm not coming back it's the last visit. They're going to reject me. They're going to beat me. They're going to mock me, accuse me. They're going to take me and I'm going to be put to death on a cross. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. And Peter's reaction is, no, Lord, that should never happen to you. And he got rebuked severely by Jesus for having a, a, man, a, a man-centered attitude. He didn't want to lose Jesus. He didn't understand what Jesus was going to do to be the Lamb of God. So Peter begins that way, you know, rebuking Jesus. And now he gets rebuked by Jesus. They're in the the last supper and Jesus says, you're all going to betray me. You're all going to flee me. Peter says, no, I'm not, Lord. They may all flee you. I'm never going to desert you or flee you. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up and the rooster crows. Never, Lord. And that's exactly what he did in the garden after that momentary, Lord, should we fight? And he picks up his sword. All the disciples deserted him and fled, including Peter, who then circles back around to sort of see what's going on in the trial. And when he gets identified as an associate, as a disciple of Jesus, he denies it three times. This is where Peter was before the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And now, Jesus is saying, wow, I rejected the cross. I wanted nothing to do with it. It was repulsive to me. It was a terrible, horrible first century instrument of torture. And now Peter's adopting this cruciform lifestyle. Friends, when you as a follower of Christ endure unjust suffering, you're acting like Jesus. That's what he went through for you. That's what he wants you to go through for him. And he says, let's follow in his steps. Amen? Amen. Let's follow our great shepherd in his steps. Because in verse 25, our great shepherd, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The last verse there in 1 Peter chapter 2. You were like sheep going astray. Just like Isaiah said, that's exactly what Peter agreed with, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm gonna close with this. R.C. Sproul Great pastor, great Bible teacher, great scholar. R.C. Sproul tells the story of Little Bo Peep and her lost sheep. You remember that? Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. He says, leave them alone, and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them, right? So the liberal, and this is what R.C. Sproul says, the liberal theology of the day says, nobody's really lost. Or if they're lost, it's just a little temporary thing. Just leave them alone. Everybody will come back. everybody They, they might have strayed for a little bit. Everybody will come back to God. There's no worries, no problems. R.C. Sproul says that's not the message of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not leave them alone and they'll come home all on their own. No, Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that was lost. The Son of, the Man, so the Son of Man came and told the story the parable that, of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And when one of them went astray, what did that good shepherd do? He went after the lost sheep because that lost sheep was not going to come back on his own. He had to go find it. The truth is, friends, that lost sheep do not know how to come home on their own. He doesn't know where the sheepfold is unless the good shepherd finds him and shows him and leads him back to safety. Friends, you who follow Jesus, you have returned to your great shepherd, Jesus. He came, he sought you, and he bought you with his own redeeming blood. Jesus wants to help everyone find their way back to God. All people like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. Does that describe you, perhaps, friend, even today? Whether you're watching online, whether you're in this house of worship, does that describe you? Are you one of those sheep that has gone astray, gone your own way, said, Lord, right now I'm not putting you first place in my life. I'm doing my own thing, and I don't want you interfering. Have you realized that Jesus, in his grace and his love as the great shepherd, has been pursuing you and wanting to bring you back into a right relationship with God? Are you ready today to turn back to Jesus in humble faith and accept him as the Lord, as the leader of your life? It's one of my favorite bumper stickers. Heading in the wrong direction, God allows you turns. Only I think I would turn that arrow the other way. I think I would say going in the wrong direction, God allows you turns because I don't want to end up going that way. So, Let's turn it right side up. You know? Are you ready? But, but seriously, friends, to the point, are you ready to return to the shepherd and the overseers of your soul? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, today, I want to acknowledge that you are the great shepherd. You are the great shepherd who is willing to endure unjust suffering and death for my sake to reconcile me to God, to bring me back to a right relationship with God. And today, Lord, I, in humble faith, I'm turning back to you, and I say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse my heart. Put me, Lord, put me on the right path to follow you for the rest of the days of my life. Show me what it means to lead this kind of life where I lay down my rights for the sake of your good news, for the sake of other people to help reconcile and lead them back into a right relationship with god help me to do that in jesus name amen friends if you made that decision and you're here please indicate that on the welcome card because we want to follow up with you we want to show you some next steps if you're watching online and you go to our subchristian.com website go to the upper right corner, click on those three horizontal lines. You'll go to connect and you'll go to next steps and you'll see the steps that you can take to keep moving forward in this Christian faith that we enjoy. God bless you.